0: Welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 123. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, we do have a QA lined up for you today. And we are jumping straight into this first question. It's a bit more of a personal question, it's a bit it more is. of a business question. But this one says What, in your opinion, makes TBD stand out? in comparison to the rest of other content and fitness creators?
1: Awesome, great question. Something a little bit different to begin this episode. And I think naturally we might be just a little bit biased.
0: Mm -hmm. But I think the question is asking us to be a little bit biased because it's asking us about what's our opinion.
1: Mm. So yeah, I didn't actually, I don't have any notes prepared. Tiara asked me this on the cuff. So (laughs) let's see with what I come out with. And essentially, I think a few things that spring to mind initially is, is one where dietitians in the bodybuilding scene, hence our name, if you hadn't realized. And that kind of brings a new element of how we think about nutrition and how we think about, I guess, training as well, considering we have uh, an undergraduate degree in exercise and nutrition. So basically combining a approach that is very evidence-based, but also acknowledging that. Uh, bodybuilding isn't a heavily researched area compared to other elements or other sporting endeavours like marathon running uh, or team sports. So I think we we bring something new in in that regard to the table. We're also a couple again. If you hadn't realised, we are partnered up. We are romantically involved, <laughs>
0: and we are we are a romantic team to say yeah. the least.
1: <laughs> and we're both. Uh, so I think that definitely adds an interesting element as well. Uh, not only on the podcast, but also how we go about YouTube and Instagram as well and Uh do our road to 2023. And I think that's really interesting. And and I don't know many other podcasts at all. I I can't name one that where they're they're both bodybuilders they live together. They train together. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The closest one I can think of is the Flex Success podcast with mm-hmm. Dean and Lizzie. But yeah. Lizzie, she's not a bodybuilder. No. Yeah. But and I guess that's kind of close.
1: Yeah. And I guess Lane and Holly Norden.
0: That's true. Yeah. Or yeah. Holly
1: Baxter, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And uh, cool that we're being compared to them by ourselves. But <laughs> yeah.
0: But I love being a team. And yeah. another unique aspect too is that we didn't just go into business and finding one another and just start being a team there we found each other back in 2015 at uni or two that's when i noticed you but i think you noticed me in 2016 (laughs) Uh, but we've been together for many many years now and we've been working as a team for many years building up that teamwork throughout our years at university Mm. before we ever even got into business just supporting one another and studying for tests with each other and Doing chemistry labs together and assignments like we got to really work off one another for many many years prior to going to business so we had a heck of a lot of practice which has really put us at an advantage of being a team because you and I we both know our strengths and we both know our weaknesses and also we can be very honest with one another Mm. one of us might have an idea and the other one's not scared to say that's a terrible idea (laughs) So, you know, it works out well. Mm,
1: It really does. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the highlights is our teamwork.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think, what would you say we bring to the table in terms of coaching?
0: So in terms of coaching, again, I think it's very unique because you're a male and I'm a female. That's not to say that I exclusively only work with the females and you exclusively only work with the males. There's a little bit of crossover, but for the most part, we are able to really specialize in mm. those areas with our genders, but also teach one another different things too. So I think that's really unique as well. So you and I are both able to learn a lot from one another with our different coaching practices too. Mm. and. Another thing in terms of content creation that might be a little bit different to other fitness and content creators is you and I have really tried to put ourselves out there across multiple different platforms. And... I'd like to say we're pretty darn consistent with our content. We try to have it to be to the best quality as we can. So we're putting out two podcasts a week. We're putting out three TBD Instagram posts per week. We're trying to put out one YouTube video every single week. We're posting on our own Instagram pages. So we're really trying to put ourselves out there across multiple different platforms with multiple different types of content whether that's an audio format or visual format or video format just to connect with more people
1: mm. yeah and I think we're very what you see is what you get with us like there's no one writing our posts for us mm-hmm. and we're literally just like anyone else of the listeners listening to this right now we're, we're no different we're just uh, two people who graduated from uni we're passionate about bodybuilding and we we want to help educate others and we want to get uh pursue bodybuilding in our own competitive manner as well. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And we're coaches.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And I would even argue that I think you and I are pretty darn relatable, Jack, because neither of us were born into a super wealthy family. Neither of us are incredibly genetically blessed or we're not Einsteins. We're not <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I think we're pretty relatable in the sense that we have just worked really really hard to be where we are today and we've just been incredibly consistent both personally and professionally and even then we're still not exactly where we want to be you know like i think that we definitely practice what we preach and we walk the talk and we're very honest with people about what it takes to want to be near the top But even neither you or I are at the top yet, you know? The ultimate goal is to be a professional bodybuilder, right? Have that pro status in these ranks. But we're not even there yet. And we try so goddamn hard. We put in so much work. So that's another thing I think showing other people that it takes a lot of work and you have to fall in love with delayed gratification and you have to be consistent and you have to be incredibly passionate about what you do and there's no denying that you and i are just insanely obsessed with bodybuilding and just so gosh darn passionate about it and we just keep inching forward bit by bit by bit
1: that's it couldn't have said it better and (laughs) i think the reason why or not being professional bodybuilders yet has kind of that's part of what makes us unique as well we're not some pro body IFBB pro bodybuilder mm-hmm. selling a program or two, where displaying what it takes and how we're working towards that goal.
0: Yeah, and in terms well, of actually natural bodybuilding <laughs> pro. <laughs> Absolutely natty for life, right? Hashtag that. But in terms of actually putting that content out there too, I would always say that you know we're pretty open minded and we're not scared to admit when we're wrong and when we might change our opinion on things and. We're not necessarily scared to put out some semi-controversial <laughs> topics out there, especially things on Instagram. Um, well, I would
1: say that the YouTube thumbnails are a bit more yeah. controversial.
0: <laughs> you have to take full responsibility <laughs> for those. You do all the clickbait with those things.
1: Mm. That's the game. That's the YouTube game, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you definitely play that game for <laughs> sure. But I would say that we're not necessarily dogmatic in our approach. We're not like our way or the highway sort of thing. But we do have the courage to raise some semi-controversial topics or discussions. But I would say that because we've gone through university and we are critical thinkers, we definitely give a good rationale and justification behind our reasonings. And we always ask for other people's opinion too, like, Hey, what do you think about this? And we want to raise more discussions. And it genuinely just stems from wanting to help people. We genuinely just want to help other people. And I'd say everything that we say, it's not necessarily too left field. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like we're not talking about conspiracy theories or anything like that on this podcast.
1: No, we're definitely not. (laughs) I I couldn't even talk about one off the top of my head, to be honest.
0: Yeah, the world is definitely round, guys. Sorry to break (laughs) it to you. And something else that I've definitely noticed is because I like to absorb a lot of content too, particularly in podcast form. I'm a total podcast fanatic. I probably listen to at least three podcasts every single day. And something that I've noticed is that when I'm sharing other people's podcasts on my stories, like I might take a screenshot and say, love this discussion. And I'll tag all the, all of the speakers in that podcast podcast sometimes I won't even get any recognition for posting that on Instagram. And I know everyone interacts differently on the internet and I don't necessarily take it to heart or anything, but I do recognize it. Like if I go to the effort to share something on my story and then that podcast creator doesn't even have the effort to even like double tap the story and like, like it or like recognize it or just say like, thanks for listening. Like it makes me less inclined to want to share their content because I'm like, man, you know, I was trying to share your good quality content with other people, but you're not even recognizing that. So I don't usually continue to share that person's content, but I'd say with you and I, like we love having a support network and we love engaging with other people and we never take anything for granted. So if someone takes time out of their day to screenshot our podcast and share it to their instagram stories or tell their friends about it whatever it may be you and i are never going to take that unnoticed we're always going to recognize it always say thank you at the very least or if people engage on our posts and comment on our instagram posts or our youtube videos we're always going to engage in discussions with them too because i think that's just common courtesy man
1: Mm, most certainly and I can understand to a certain, like if someone has a hundred thousand followers, then they probably set up their Instagram inbox to divert it all to their, I don't know, requests. And Mm -hmm. they might have hundreds of requests, but I think, yeah, we'll, we'll always make an effort to reply to comments, check the, the reposts and share them and say, thank you. And Mm -hmm. I think that just makes us down to earth, which we are. We're not, we're not anyone who we don't, make out to be
0: yeah without a doubt we're just doing our own thing trying to share good quality information and help other people who are just as crazy about bodybuilding as we are evidence-based bodybuilding
1: that's right (laughs) hey guys just a reminder that we offer coaching services which you can find on our website by searching the bodybuilding dietitians on google or via the show notes below we coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal
0: Awesome. All right. So we're going to move on to this next question. So this one says, tuna, love it as a source of healthy fats, but is there a limit on weekly consumption because of mercury?
1: Yes, there are. And these guidelines are not dictated by like you or me or someone on social media. They're dictated by, I think the Fizans, Mm -hmm. which is the uh, food standards for Australia and New Zealand. So by a governing body and that way we can be kind of rest assured that these are fairly there's a there's a secure rationale behind these recommendations and we actually did a episode on this so which episode number was
0: that that was episode number 73 and that was all the way back in May of 2020 wow. so well over a year ago so without us repeating ourselves on all the good and dandy things about how much tuna that you can eat highly recommend that you go back to episode 73 and have a good listen, mm. because we talk in a lot of detail yep. about tuna and just the amount of heavy metals in fish in mm. general. Yeah. And not,
1: so not being restricted to tuna, but also other types of fish as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And But the second part of this question, it, was, it did say, tuna, love it as a source of healthy fats. Well, I guess that's not necessarily a question. That's more of a statement, <laughs> but I do just want to clarify this because this is it is is a, a
1: misconception. It
0: is certainly a misconception because Jack and I as dietitians, you can imagine we do a lot of dietary recalls we do a lot of dietetic consultations and we're always looking at people's diets with our dietetic eyes and we're trying to pinpoint, okay, whether or not this person could potentially be deficient in a certain nutrient just mm. based on their dietetic recall. But obviously we haven't done bloods with them or anything like that. But I think
1: it's I think it's important to mention as well that often like someone says oh I had some peanut butter on my toast peanut butter is an amazing Mm -hmm. source of protein it's like although that statement isn't true Mm -hmm. it's kind of just almost a socio-cultural stereotypical statement that Mm -hmm. people just think to say yeah and I think it's the same with tuna and healthy fats like. The fats that are in tuna are healthy but there's just not enough of them
0: yeah and so when we're doing a dietary recall with people one of the key nutrients we're looking out for is omega-3 consumption and one of the best sources of omega-3 is oily fish but there's an emphasis on the word oily there so your oily fish are going to be more of your fish like your salmon and your barramundi and your kippers and your sardines, those type of really herring. oil. Yeah. And herring as well. Those really oily fish tuna man. It's pretty lean, you know, <laughs> could probably get on a bodybuilding stage, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> any sort of white fish as well. will be quite
0: lean. Yeah. Put that thing in a Dexter scan, you know, sub 10%, but people will often say, Oh yeah. Like, cause generally recommendations are to consume at least two serves of oily fish per week. Otherwise it's recommended you're supplementing with either like an omega-3 fatty acid supplement, like a high quality fish oil or a high quality algae oil supplement. Either way, you just need to get enough EPA and DHA into you. But when you're asking, you're like, so do you consume oily fish at least twice a week? And they're like, oh yeah, I love tuna. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) sorry to break it to you, but Tuna, unfortunately, it's a great source of protein, but it's not a great source of omega-3 fatty acids. And even if your tuna is in oil, it's usually in a blend of different vegetable oils and olive oil, Hmm. or it's just, yeah, in vegetable oil with some flavoring, like some sort of smoky tuna or tuna with oil and chili sort of thing. But it's still oil. It's still fatty acids, but it's not the omega-3 fatty acids that we're really looking for here
1: yeah and i just see that as john west and green green slopes or green sleeves or
0: <laughs> green sleeves uh, green seas
1: green seas that's the one <laughs> and siren tuna and they've just done siren <laughs> What is it, Sirena?
0: So I think it's Serena. <laughs>
1: okay, whatever. So we got sleeves and we got Siren.
0: <laughs> we got the firemen with their long sleeves coming for this tuna.
1: <laughs> anyway, I know I was right when in saying John West. At least. Yes, <laughs> but I just—they've just done an excellent job at marketing, and that's mm. why we think that they are amazing sources. Is because mm-hmm. they promote them on the basis that you are getting some healthy fats, but they're just isn't enough dietary fat in tuna to warrant it being overly beneficial.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like eating your peanut butter for your protein intake. You're going to get a little bit of protein, but it's not going to be adequate enough to actually hit the daily recommendations so yeah just don't look at tuna as your best source of omega-3 fatty acids rather go for something like some salmon and even with salmon you want to make sure that your fish is wild caught because the vast majority of salmon that you're going to buy here in Australia, if it's fresh, it's all farmed. And then it's questionable about what they're actually feeding those farmed fish. And they've done studies as well to actually look at the fatty acid composition of these fish. And if they were eating a natu- Salmon is,
1: I think it's, it's also a misconception that salmon is naturally high in omega-3 when mm. it's not. The only reason why salmon is high in omega-3 is because it consumes algae. Yeah.
0: yeah. From its natural diet.
1: Yeah. And- when fish is farmed it gets fed grain mm-hmm. it doesn't get fed unless that grain is fortified with omega 3 your uh, farmed salmon at coals and woolies will not unfortunately have enough omega 3
0: yeah a, a natural diet for it'll a fish it'll have plenty of omega 6
1: though <laughs> <laughs> yeah a
0: natural diet for a fish is not corn and yeah. usually they're feeding it a lot of like yeah you're like these grains and these and corn and stuff. So, oh, and
1: also, a uh, big fact here as well is that your farm salmon isn't naturally the nice pink salmon color. Yeah. It's usually white.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So, we did watch the Netflix documentary Sea Spiracy. There's a lot to take in there for mm. sure. And it even makes me hesitant, honestly, to even recommend eating fish. Like, I would actually be more under the recommendation now i think again this is where my opinion has changed because i've just learned more i would actually recommend that people get their omega-3 fatty acids from algae oil because fish eat the algae which is their natural diet and algae is what actually contains the omega-3 fatty acids the epa and the dha so why don't we just get it from the original source rather than going through the middleman and just absolutely destroying the oceans So. Mm -hmm that's a, that's a whole nother can of worms.
1: Yeah. But I would say if you're eating fish for nutrition, Mm -hmm. then you should be trying to prioritize wild caught. Mm -hmm. And if you're eating fish for taste, then at least bear in the ethical considerations of that and the environmental. And I mean, it's kind of, I'm like the pot calling the kettle black because although, although I don't eat much fish, I do supplement with fish oils mm-hmm. which are derived from fish
0: yeah but even you and i have had discussions now that one we're not going to throw away our fish oils that we bought prior to even having this knowledge because that two wrongs don't make a right like mm. we're not going to waste those fish's lives and their oils but once those are finished we're probably going to start consuming algae oil
1: yep i'm with you on that
0: yeah it'll be good guys so tbd we're we're making changes over here. Tag us
1: in your algae oils. <laughs>
0: Do it, but if you are gonna consume fish, yeah, make sure it's wild caught, so it's eating the algae itself. Mm. It's not eating a corn cob. <laughs> and that's
1: why we consume kangaroo as well. Like, mm-hmm. there's no denying I like the taste of beef mint. Yeah. And, however, I'm choosing to consume kangaroo because I think it's it's slightly more ethical and mm-hmm. it's better for the environment as well because kangaroo isn't farmed it's again wild caught Mm -hmm. and yeah
0: and nutritionally it actually has a higher amount of iron compared Mm. to beef and it has a lower amount of fat too yeah
1: and they're similar like obviously other countries don't have kangaroo but i'm sure there are similar approaches to other wild caught animals where you live
0: Yeah. So for example, in North America, it would be a lot more common to consume something like venison, Mm. which is deer, which is more native to the environment. And that would be a lot more commonly found in these supermarkets. Mm. I've had some of my American clients and even people from across the globe messaging us on TBD saying, darn i can't find kangaroo (laughs) at at walmart and but the equivalent would be something like venison just a very lean red meat that is wild caught
1: Mm -hmm. that's
0: right yeah but anyway guys yeah tuna ain't the best source of omega-3 fatty acids hey guys just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our instagram and youtube channel So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there.
1: Cool. Well, (laughs) what's the next question?
0: So this next question, it says, cardio versus step targets for a dieting phase or prep. Which is better?
1: Hmm. Well, I think we definitely have a preference, which Mm -hmm. we use with ourselves and our clients. Yep. And I think it really just does come down to the individual.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't say either is better or either is worse. I think it's always going to come down to the client and the specific context of their situation, Mm -hmm. how much energy they need to expend and also how much time they have as well.
1: I would say that even if you don't use steps as your primary method of energy output, you should at least be monitoring your daily steps. Yeah. Like that's, that's a bare minimum because... The typical thing that'll happen is, let's say your coach sets you thirty minutes on the stairmaster, mm-hmm. and which I don't think is the best method of cardiovascular uh, output in in prep,
0: especially if you did bulgarians the <laughs> day before. <laughs> yeah,
1: and so let's say you have thirty minutes on the uh, on the stairmaster, and you do that at five a.m. in the morning, then naturally. I can guarantee you that your steps are gonna reduce throughout the rest of the day to compensate for that extra energy output. It's mm-hmm. just it's just normal to do that. Whereas if you track your steps, you know exactly how many more you have to hit.
0: Yeah, I love that. So basically taking step count into account, no matter what, always mm. acknowledge it, never just completely disregard it or don't count yeah. it at all. But then cardio, that can be an addition if necessary. Yeah. So and I
1: think that's the big thing, if necessary. And mm-hmm. a lot of people just blanket statement cardio and say, prep started, an hour on the treadmill every single day, full incline, get your heart rate up to like 160 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. And it's just not necessary. You should be doing the, the least amount you can do to get the best results. Mm-hmm. And it's otherwise, we're bodybuilders here. We're not like marathon runners. so. Yeah. Yeah, that's my little spiel.
0: <laughs> but there's no denying that cardio would certainly be a more efficient means of burning energy mm. compared to just steps. Yeah. But you have to take that into account. So obviously if someone is on a time restraint, so let's say that someone is a parent and they've got to take their kids to school early in the morning and then in the afternoon they've got to pick them up and take them to places and then they're working all day nine to five and they've got a pretty sedentary job and they're just bound to the desk right it's going to be a heck of a lot more efficient for them to do some sort of structured cardio that requires less time but they're going to have to work at a higher intensity Mm. that would arguably burn the same amount of energy as doing something like eight or ten thousand steps during the day
1: at the same time though i think it's it's very easy to underestimate how many calories steps burn Mm -hmm. like the difference between and again i'm not going to tout numbers here because i don't know yeah but the difference between five and ten thousand steps is quite significant Mm. and that's about 50 minutes of walking
0: yeah and as well there's always that argument of oh, you know, there's probably are these little breaks in the day where you could be moving, Mm. you know, like you could, when you're, when you're on that phone call, you could be pacing up and down the hallway or during your lunch break, you know, you could go for a walk and then maybe eat lunch at your desk, that sort of thing. Or if, if you're um, observing your child play soccer Like while they're warming up, why don't you go for a walk around the field or something like that? Just, just try to move your body and be really aware of your movement. And Mm. that's why you and I, again, would argue that you really need to take steps into account no matter what.
1: Pun intended. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> steps to take steps into account. Yeah. I think.
0: So, steps, yes. And then cardio just highly depends on the context. Yeah. How time pressed you are, and also just how much energy you have to burn. Mm. There's no denying I, that sometimes in prep, food does get uncomfortably low, yeah. not just for the client, but for the coach as well. And you're like, I'm genuinely not comfortable taking your food any lower right now. Mm. But hey, How about we increase expenditure a little bit?
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, there was a second part to this question or a a related question.
0: Yeah. There was another question related to steps and it says, how do you transition physically and mentally from doing a lot of cardio or steps in prep to your off season? So how do you taper them down and how do you transition your mindset and your body into doing that?
1: Mm. Well I think this is a good one for for you and me because mm. we're on quite opposite sides of the spectrum mm. so we're not entirely opposite but we're definitely at different extremes so uh, to clue everyone in like my I didn't have any scheduled cardio and prep uh, I yeah didn't I don't think I did a single thing on the bike or I only walked on the treadmill four steps. I didn't Mm. do any Stairmaster. I didn't do the elliptical, anything like that.
0: And then again, that's not you boasting, oh, prep was cardio free. You just didn't require it.
1: Yeah, Uh, well, and I did do a lot of steps. I sometimes went up to like 15, 16,000 steps a day. Mm. And that was, in prep, that was, uh, yeah, again, a bit of a mind game because there were some days where I'm like, oh, should I just do more steps? But sometimes you do need to hold yourself back Mm. in that regard because more isn't better. Mm -hmm.
0: I need to like get you on a leash and be like, Jack, (laughs) stop pacing the house. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. I would wake up at like sometimes before 4 a.m. And then before I went to the gym, which was around 8.30 a.m., I'd racked Mm. up like 8,000 steps just by walking in the house.
0: But again, like it is a very easy habit to build yeah. and it can work in your favor. And it can also work against you too, mm-hmm. because once you navigate yourself you, around the house, you know your way and you mm-hmm. could probably even walk around blindfolded and not easy. really bump into anything, then you and I, cause we're online coaches, you know, we're always on our phone, we're doing something, rather than just standing still and typing an Instagram caption or writing someone back an email, you know, pace around the house a little bit. Yeah. And once you build that habit, it can be hard to break.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. And so since prep, my steps have come down to quite recently about 10 to 12K. Mm -hmm. And that initially it wasn't hard. And if anything, it's just going to again depend on the individual, which is a boring answer. But like I didn't really enjoy doing that just Mm -hmm. because it was a habit that didn't mean I enjoyed it. It took up a lot of time. Uh, I was always on my feet and it's actually been really nice to just, be able to like sit down and chill out at my desk a bit more because there's mm. no doubt that my productivity is high when I can sit down, put on my earphones, listen to some music and get stuck into some work rather than pacing around the house. Mm. And that so I've, I've enjoyed it and I've noticed that my, my body has responded well. As well, like I, I felt more recovered. So mm. maybe take those things into consideration when your steps are lowered. Like, how is it going to impact your recovery? It's only going to improve your recovery. How is it going to improve your time efficiency? It's only going to improve your time efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, what are the drawbacks? Like, ask yourself that as well. Like, literally, what are the drawbacks? You're if you enjoy walking, you're walking a little bit less. Yeah. If you are, you, you potentially burn more energy walking, but is that really a positive mm. outside of prep? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I would say only do it if it if you genuinely feel like it's not a burden. If you don't feel like you're obliged to do it, you're like, oh, I gotta hit this number today. Mm. If you genuinely get enjoyment out of it, like I do, again, I wouldn't say either of us are an extreme, but I'd say that we're definitely different in that sense. That Well, your steps
1: haven't changed since prep.
0: No, they haven't. But that's because I love my walks. I cherish my walks. And it's part of my routine to wake up each morning after we drink some coffee and we get our work done for about an hour I go for about a 25 minute walk through the park and listen to a podcast every morning before I come home and have some breakfast like that's just ingrained in me that's part of my routine I love starting my day that way and I'm like man I'm not letting anyone take this away from me
1: so I guess would your answer to the question be don't take them down it just you, highly if depends it.
0: if you genuinely get enjoyment out of it, if it's not impeding your recovery, if it's not.
1: But how do you know if it's not impeding your recovery if you haven't tried taking them down?
0: Have you seen me do Bulgarians, man? I'm pretty strong.
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a very generic answer, though. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a I would. Yeah. I
0: well one I would say that I'm accustomed to it. My steps aren't crazy. I they average like 14-15,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm very accustomed to that. That that's me personally. Like personally, I do my 25-minute walk in the morning. You and I walk to the gym and back, and then in the afternoon I'll go for another walk in the park too. Um, and I might walk around the house a little bit during the day if I'm doing something, but that's generally where I just bought a
1: home treadmill, dude. I hope you'll be using it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. On those (laughs) rainy days. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but Anyway, that's that's me, but that's because it's part of my routine. I get such enjoyment out of that and it's really good for my mental health to get out of the house and get some fresh air and escape into a podcast or listen to some of my favorite music or something like that. But I never feel necessarily obligated to do mm-hmm. it and I never resent it. I look forward to my walks every single day cuz that's that's me time. Mm. Man, that's me time. I think time. that's
1: where we an interesting aspect that we differ like I purely see steps as to hit a step target Mm. to keep my cardiovascular and energy output consistent and recently as a means of of doing some work on my phone like Mm. I don't I don't see steps as enjoyment which is interesting yeah I think maybe if I if someone told me you can't do steps like Mm. you you can only do 2,000 steps a day then I would start to realize how much I enjoy them Mm. but because I, I blame prep because I had I was forced into doing so many mm-hmm. while feeling like absolute crap. Uh, that's probably what has led me to, to not seeing them in with those rose-tinted glasses.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, ultimately, bottom line, guys, have a healthy relationship with your step target. Mm. Make sure that it's not impeding your recovery. And don't feel as though, yeah, you are obligated or you're absolutely resenting it. You shouldn't resent movement, right? And no. also if you need to get your steps up too, try to do it in a nice environment like if you like walking around the house you can walk around the house but remember there's a whole world outside too which is really nice (laughs) i've been
1: i've been doing steps inside not realizing that i
0: love getting outside because you and i work from home you know like i want to get outside and just ah like get a big breath of fresh air and just clear my head and get some sunlight into my eyes and it's lovely so yeah guys have a healthy relationship with it And um, yeah, hopefully that helps you out too.
1: Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think we're at the end of this episode, but as per usual, we'll finish on one thing that we learned this week.
0: Okay. Well, Jack, did you learn anything this week?
1: I did, but I'm I'm dying to hear yours first.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I listened to this podcast on Triple J called Science Hour with Dr. Carl, and they were talking about the science of movies. So which components of movies are actually scientifically realistic in terms of like physics. And
1: I see that as a little bit, it's a cool topic, but we know that movies aren't realistic. That's the (laughs) point of movies. Like, Oh, is your most recent Marvel movie realistic?
0: No, but they're just, they were debunking (laughs) these things and it was really interesting to actually think about it. So for example, we've all seen a superhero movie where, someone's fallen off a bridge, right? And maybe they're in a bus and they're like, oh, save me! And they're falling down. And then the superhero runs and they put up their hand and they stop the bus with one hand. And then people were asking these questions. They're like, like... His hand would
1: just go through the bus for Legit, starters.
0: that's the thing. So they would be moving so quickly and the force impact, that person would split that bus in <laughs> half with their hand. So realistically... That wouldn't actually work from like a science physics mathematical background all that all that jazz but what i did learn this past week is that the movie interstellar with matthew mcconaughey that's actually one of the best and most evidence-based movies in terms of actually backing up astronomy and like time travel and everything like that like
1: i think you forget the ending but okay (laughs) (laughs) did they bring up the ending at all he literally like Time travels? Okay,
0: maybe not the whole movie, man. But what they're talking about is like like the amount of time spent on one planet, mm. how long that was actually on Earth. Yeah. And they were like, no, that's actually true in terms of time travel because that other planet was like close to a black hole, so it warps time. Mm. Anyway, that's what I learned is that Interstellar Man, kind of legit. Yeah,
1: I, I do like that movie. It's a great movie.
0: But unfortunately, Star Wars, not so legit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> But Jack, what did you learn this week?
1: So I learned that uh, home treadmills are not a thing of the future anymore. <laughs> they are part of the present.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, they are. And they got remote controls.
1: Yeah. I think I've always... It's just one of those things where subconsciously you're like, you can't have a treadmill at home. It's way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Like, But... Uh, I do a lot of my steps at home just out of convenience and work. And Mm -hmm. I think we had like a full week of rain here, which was just very annoying. Mm -hmm. And it was, we were just like, we saw a few people on Instagram who had home treadmills and we're like, wait, why don't we look into this? And we we found one on Kogan. It was only like
0: three, it was $300.
1: And it's like the thing I was worried about with home treadmills is that even on my parents' home treadmill, which is a really good one, I'll actually like skew the belt because mm. um, I'm heavier than your average person. Actually, maybe not due to obesity, but I'm heavy. and <laughs>
0: You'll be growing.
1: I'll be growing. And I, I skew the belt, but this one, it works perfectly for walking. Mm. Um, it goes up to six kilometers per hour, which is more than fast enough for us for walking. And
0: yeah, We ain't going to be doing running <laughs> in this house. <laughs> no.
1: But uh, yeah, it does the job well and it was very affordable and... If only we had a discount code, but we don't, but yeah.
0: yeah, it's awesome. You know, and man, we just had such a prep brain moment in prep because why didn't we think of this in mm. prep? You were pacing around the house. It was raining for a few weeks during prep. I was out there in, in the park jacket, yeah. being stubborn in my rain jacket, getting rained on while I was minimal body fat, really cold, but I was like, Oh, endure it. <laughs> but why the heck didn't we just buy this thing in prep anyway we have it now the delivery was like two days awesome from mm. kogan so yeah it's really good it
1: is yeah it looks nice yeah mm-hmm. it beeps at yeah yeah Has a led display
0: again it has this little remote control thing and um, i think it bounces less too because it doesn't have that big bulky thing at the front mm, yeah you tell them. <laughs> but Jack I am I am breaking it to you it does have a 100 kilogram weight limit
1: yeah I am, I am worried about that <laughs> well I'm still I'm still about 20 kilos away so I'm I'll be okay for a while yeah give me 20 months
0: all right and then in the future years once you up, upgrade in the uh, gains department we might have to upgrade the treadmill yeah but all in sweet time yeah. and all with a lot of food <laughs> all right guys well that was our podcast for today hope you enjoyed it if you did please remember to take a screenshot post it to your instagram stories tag jack tag myself tag the bodybuilding dietitians and we'll catch you next week